Hello and welcome to the Future of Australia podcast. Here I interview the entrepreneurs running the fastest growing businesses in Australia. These interviews will be around the themes of entrepreneurship, new ideas, business, innovation, capitalism and successful enterprise being the motor that will drive Australia forward. I will be telling the stories of the people who are making it possible and as they grow and strive further will become a bigger and bigger part of Australia's future. My name is Derek Stewart, your host and the founder of Future of Australia. Check us out at futureofaustralia.com to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, get exclusive content and ensure you never miss an episode. For questions or comments, email me at derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Future of Australia podcast. In this episode, I interview Tracy Fitzgerald, the founder of Brandalism, a boutique marketing agency in Sydney. We discuss how she continually reinvented her career from dreaming of being a writer at a young age to working in publishing, the magazine industry, travel industry, content marketing and now running her own agency with her career journey spanning three continents. Hear how they grew by 148% last financial year, making Brandalism one of the FinReview 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia doing $1.25 million in annual revenue. If you are a small to medium-sized business in Sydney and interested in how specialist marketing experts who focus exclusively on content marketing and social media can help you refine your communication, tell your story and grow your business, check them out at brandolism.com.au That's B-R-A-N-D-A-L-I-S-M dot com so, um, Tracy, having a, a bit of a look at your LinkedIn and your background, it, it looks like you've got a quite interesting sort of story coming from the UK, doing a bit of work in Dubai and, and then now being in Australia in recent years. C- can you talk us through your background and career path a little bit that brought yeah, you to where yeah, you are sure. now? Um, so, yeah, obviously I'm from the UK and I... Uh, and I studied there and sort of started my career off there. Like like most people, I sort of headed from the north down to London and got a job and um, also did several internships actually when I first started off in publishing. Um, you know, like a lot of sort of you know people, I guess at my age, I kind of grew up with like wanting to sort of work in magazines and publishing and sort of change the world through through words. Mm. Um, and uh, sort of thought that London um, would be the, the place to do that. Um, then I guess this was a sort of a few years after graduating, the recession hit, which was quite unfortunate. But to be honest, probably worked out quite well. Um, I decided to get out of London because the, the job market was just terrible. The magazine that I was the editor of um, collapsed, and it was just extremely difficult to get any kind of work there. Um, so I headed to Dubai and became a travel editor, which you know really for sort of a you know, a girl in that early 20s was the, the dream job. Um, and it was just sort of like my entry into sort of traveling around and getting experience in different, 
you know, experiences in different places. Um, I had an absolute ball in Dubai and, you know, learned a lot. And I think particularly then, it was sort of 10 years ago now, so 2007 that I moved there, a lot of people were sort of given the opportunity to kind of, you know, jump a few stations ahead of what they were probably ready for just because of, um, you know, the demand for uh, talent there. So that fortunately happened to me. I became a deputy editor of a travel publishing company, which sort of threw me in the deep end, but gave me a lot of good experience. Um, And then, yeah, and then after that, I decided to sort of keep on going and I ended up in Sydney. And the tricky thing was, and, you know, this is probably just, you know, down to fate now, um, it was quite hard to get any kind of sponsorship in in publishing Mm -hmm. at the time. So, yes, by then it was about 2009 and it was just just not an option. You know, I was going to all the different publishing houses here and sort of, you know, people would talk to me, but they wouldn't give me a job, (laughs) which was a little (laughs) bit annoying. um, and I did end up picking picking up some work and then met um, uh, who sort of became the founder of King Content, a guy called Craig Hodges, and he was just starting King Content and then him and I, um, I guess, you know, started that business and got that off the ground and that was my first foray into content marketing and that was really quite new here at the time and a little bit of a change from what I was used to. I'd sort of worked in publishing and particularly, you know, digital publishing and, you know, I'm sort of a writer by trade, I guess. Um, and then I sort of applied that to to brands and sort of helped brands, um, you know, communicate more effectively and worked on their sort of, uh, their, their marketing through, through content. Um, and sort of started to grow that business with him. And, you know, I don't know if you know anything about that company, but the, the growth was enormous. I think in, you know, the four years I was there, it went from, you know, him and I to over 100 people and you know, ultimately, ultimately it sold. Um, and, yeah, and it was through that that I kind of got the exposure to business and you know, managing teams and, you know, all of the other aspects that sort of, you know, go with growing a company. And I decided to set up my own. So I started vandalism around three years ago, maybe maybe a little bit longer. kind of gets younger each, each year that passes. Um, and, yeah, just sort of started up the uh, content marketing and social media marketing uh, agency and have sort of just grown that um, in a different way to King Content. I'd say, you know, we're a little bit more sort of boutique and, you know, I've kind of got to the, the point now where I can um, choose clients, which is good, and sort of just grow in a really sort of steady and structured way. Yeah, that sort of wraps up my career, I guess, <laughs> the past 10 years in, in a few sentences. Yeah, so, so I noticed quite a few interesting uh, sort of turning points or sort of moments, it seems. Um, like, so when you went to Dubai, you sort of, you already had the job in hand before you moved, or did you move and then find the job? Um, I did have the job in hand. It was quite funny how that came about, actually, because, you know, I was um, in London at the time, and I was, you know, seeking work and applying for lots of different roles, and, um you know, I must have been applying for a sort of different role every every single day. I think mm. at the time, it was, it was, you know, it's quite a competitive city to live in. Um, and I got that interview, and I actually, at the time, didn't realise it was based in Dubai. <laughs> she just mentioned something about Dubai in the interview because it was a, you know, travel publishers. I was like, yeah, great, Dubai, it's awesome, just thinking it was a random travel question. And then got offered the job, and it was told that I'd have to relocate and you know obviously I was like well of course (laughs) I knew that all along Um, so 
so yeah, that was that was a very random occurrence, um, and yeah, it was it wasn't really planned on 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 my part, but you know, it was sort of a chance that I got, and I'm glad that I I took it for sure. And what about the move to Australia? So you mentioned there you didn't have anything lined up, but it was just was there something that drew you to Australia, friends or family or or previous travel that made you want to look for work there? Um, to be honest, it was more sort of the strength of the economy. To, like I know that sounds crazy, and you know I'm sort of in my mid twenties to be thinking about that, but it was just it was just so hard in the uk and um you know between sort of the uk and dubai I'd, I'd actually gone from london to dubai back to london back to dubai sort of you know it's between the two mm. and the recession hit dubai as well so there was a huge boom there in 2007 and then by the time 2009 came around the place was just completely different it was it was really quite tricky um so I just, I just kind of um, had an opportunity to come to Australia and, you know, just took it. I saw it as a great place to, um, you know, make a move. And obviously because um, of the, you know, working holiday visa being an option, I knew that I could have 12 months at least to sort of check out the country and the job scene and see what was going on. So, you know, in the back of my head, I thought, oh, it'll just be 12 months. I'll, you know, get a job, have some fun and, you know, just see what happens. But, you know, eight years later, I'm sort of, Watching, watching what the time has gone. Yeah, that's a, it's a really uh, interesting journey and sort of always sort of uh, moving forward and looking to the next opportunity and, and creating sort of your own, I guess, adapting. Just the, the motto is sort of being very adaptable and, and not being yeah, sort absolutely. of stuck in what you're doing. Um, because there's also obviously this big transition, like you said, from sort of very traditional print media and magazines and that whole industry has sort of changed a huge amount, but you've been able to sort of um, reinvent yourself to some way and transfer the skills, of course, because a lot of it's, uh, you know, writing and marketing and advertising. The fundamentals yeah, yeah. are the same, but you've been able to continue to evolve um, in a very in an industry that's changed a lot also. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's about taking learnings that you've got from one thing and then, you know, in, in some ways you might it might not be obvious how they can apply, but... You know, there's so many things that can, um, and it was quite an obvious link, really, from sort of the digital publish, publish, publishing side of things to content marketing. Because you know, if you get how to speak to an audience, and if you know how to engage people, and you know what sort of works well and what sells, and you know what stories people want to consume and how they think, and you can apply that to a business that has a need to engage a customer, it's almost it's, you know, it's, it's almost the same thing. So it's uh, it was quite beneficial for me to have that, um, you know, the publishing background when I came into content marketing. You know, although, you know, itself, the content marketing industry has developed and adapted over the past, you know, seven years that I've been in it. So, yeah, it's really important to just keep on acknowledging, you know, what the changes are and, you know, how you can take one thing and turn it into something else. Hmm. And so, um, the previous business, uh, were you the uh, co-founder of that? No, I wasn't the co-founder. I was the uh, like the founding sort of staff member, I suppose. So, Craig Hodges was the founder. He had um, a partner. Um, and I sort of came in as the founding staff member. And so basically just, um, I didn't really know what to expect at first. I kind of knew what the, um, what the vision was and, you know, thought I thought I could do it and sort of, 
was really believed in where the company was going. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, it was such a roller coaster to kind of get involved with a business that grew, you know, so massively over the course of the next few years. Um, but yeah, you know, when I first got involved, it was very much just because I kind of liked the opportunity. I liked the idea of, um, you know, taking one industry and developing it and sort of turning it into something else. And it um, wasn't without its challenges, though. You know, when that business started, the, the content marketing industry in Australia was really not very well developed. So a lot of the time we spent, you know, just educating people, which was an eye-opener for, for me because I'd always been in, you know, a career that people got, you know, people understood it. Mm. As soon as you said, I, you know, I'm an editor, I'm a writer, I'm, you know, whatever it is. People didn't ask any more questions, but when you said, you know, you work in content marketing, sort of, you know, sort of a glazed look would sort of hit you back. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's also one of the other benefits of coming across different regions. Like you said, you sort of had a bit of a career jump in Dubai, but then also your sort of knowledge in some ways would have been ahead if you're in uh, industries and in other geographies that are more sort of uh, forward on those things you can sort of leverage that and be a bit ahead of the curve um compared to people who have spent all their time in one place yeah yeah i think so yeah yeah for sure and you know it's, it's funny because i i often come across the opposite here in australia where you know people look for um you know australian experience um you know which is obviously important and maybe i just know sit more because i'm from the uk but um i i think sort of having some kind of global experience really does add you know add so many strings to your bow and um, just being able to adapt yourself to different markets and know what it is that you're supposed to look out for and how how things do vary is is a real skill um but you know obviously you do need to know your local market pretty well but you know once you've got those skills that's quite easy to, to pick up yeah definitely um, and, and then so so Brandalism, which is your um, the company that you're the mm-hmm. you're running at the moment, and you've been yes. running for the last couple of years. So that was your first business that you've you've been sort of the owner and the the one the founder of. Yeah, yeah. So I founded Brandalism um, sort of the end of 2013, start of 2014, um, and yeah, it's my my first uh, my first business. Hopefully, not my last. Um, and yeah, I just sort of grown this agency on the back of, sort of what I have learned so far. Um, so it wasn't, comp- you know, the industry wasn't completely new to me. I've had a lot of experience sort of working in this industry um, before, so that was obviously really helpful. Um, but the whole actually running a business and growing a business and all of the things that go hand in hand with that was quite uh, quite new and you know something that I've sort of learned along the way and you know, I'm sure you know developed lots of different skills along the way um, and been taught many lessons but yeah yeah my first my first foray into business so you sort of had like the front row seats in a, in the previous role in a in a young fast growing business as one of the early employees um, so you sort of had almost watched it happen, but then, and obviously been a big part of the growth, but then with your own company, it, it's sort of your name on the lease and you, you're the one responsible for making the payroll and getting the clients and sort of juggling everything. So was that a bigger sort of change than you sort of thought or, or you knew it was going to be completely sort of different when you're the one uh, you know, with it responsibility? Was a, it was a bit of a shock. Yeah, it was a bit of a shock. I think there's, there's lots of times over the past few years that I've sort of, you know, caught myself thinking, God, you know, this is why, you know, like I, I would say, for example, in my old company, get frustrated if something wasn't happening. And now I understand maybe why 
that particular decision was made or why it wasn't happening because there's a lot that goes on in the background and there's a lot of other things um, you know that do influence sort of business decisions that are made and it's not as easy as well let's just hire a new person you know it's not always the answer when you don't have the cash flow maybe to hire that person or um, you know the, the particular sort of skill set that you need isn't a full-time role or you know it's there's so many other things that you have to consider and it's I think as an employee you can easily get frustrated with, um, you know, a business owner for, you know, you know what would seem to you like they're, they're sort of sticking their heels in and not making a decision. But when you're in that, that position, you're kind of like, oh, well, I've got so many things to consider now. So making this decision is, you know, it's, it might take a little bit of time. So, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise in, in, in many ways, really. And were there any other, like you said, you've, you've built up, obviously, skills and experience um, through, you know, by being having to because you're running the thing so you've got to quickly learn to survive but was there anything else in the first sort of six or twelve months that was a real uh, eye-opener for you of running the business compared to your previous experiences as, as an employee? Um, I think I think really just finding people I, I think in, in sort of old companies I've always sort of been surrounded by these amazing do an incredible job and I I kind of I think actually find those people and I'm surrounded by those people now but it's they don't just you know fall across your doorway they don't just sort of knock on the door so I think in the early days um, that was a big surprise because you know I've obviously wanted to grow the business and get new clients and you know do really good work but then finding people who had that same passion and the same you know background and experience and drive is is really quite tricky. And do you think part of that is just being a, a less established brand or people sort of worrying, you know, are you how long have you been in business for and how sort of stable or is it the, the pay or the reputation or what's sort of the biggest gap? I think it's a, it's a mix of everything, you know, in terms of being sort of an established brand and, you know, been around for a while like I definitely have felt a difference since turning three years old in, the, in terms of how people perceive the company um, and I, I don't really have an example for that but it's just this gut feel of that suddenly people go oh yeah you know you've been in business for a few years so you must do something right um, or this this job will be secure or you know the people have trusted you enough and um, so you must sort of be good at what you do and um, I felt that for sure um, so that I'm sure that probably comes into it with staff as well um, you know because I do notice it with 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 potential clients um, yeah look I think you know if you know the more we grow the more we'll attract talent um, but it's it's just it's just the time I guess it takes to um, to sort of find the right people and you know, you invest you invest a lot into into people too, um, from a time perspective, and it's uh, yeah, you just always want to make sure you're making the right decision. Yeah, definitely, and I, I guess that's even another aspect. Just the fact that if you have say, you know, five staff, one or two staff is a huge percentage of your your workforce. Whereas if you're in a two hundred person company, um, you know, one or two people is not a huge percentage of um, of what's going yeah, on in your absolutely. company. Um, so, uh, like you said, you hit a bit of a sort of a turning point and um, you know, in the last financial year you, you grew about 150% and made the, um, the financial review 100 fast starters and, and so you're doing about a quarter and a mil 
um, sort of annual turnover. So you mentioned part of it is sort of the time. Was there any other things that sort of, um, you know, intentionally or that just sort of happened that, that drove this big growth spurt recently? Um, I think once we were past sort of the year mark, maybe even the two-year mark, we were able to sort of speak to more significant brands so I think one element is that we were taken more seriously by um, brands that sort of um, you know by bigger brands with um, more sort of workforce I suppose Mm. Um, another shift I noticed was that a lot of companies um, wanted to or who we spoke to anyway wanted to move away from larger agencies um, and sort of actually go with a bit more of a boutique service I think there's like this um almost like this medium-sized business that um, when they're in a larger agency potentially feel like they're not quite getting the service that you know they're paying for that they deserve as a, as a medium to larger business but when they go to a boutique agency they are everything like they are everything to that company so they get the service that they get out of a smaller agency while you might not think it from the outset because obviously it's a smaller company they mean so much to that business that they actually get more value for their money. So that was one kind of trend that I think has really got in our favour because we could probably, you know, service some sort of mid-sized businesses a lot better than a larger agency because they are everything to our company. And, you know, big agencies can't sort of even compete with that that hunger. So that's kind of something that I, uh, I noticed. And just growing the clients that we had, it's probably another another thing. So just making sure that the clients that we did have on board were happy, and you know we pay a lot of uh, attention into retaining our clients. So it's it's not all about just acquisition for us. You know, obviously that is very important. But the one when we do get a client on board, we we like to keep them on board, and you know they become a part of our business. So you know, sort of growing the growing with those guys as well. Yeah, no, that's um, that's a very good observation, I think, because I think in in all sort of um, industries, again, whether it's picking an accountant, a lawyer, a, an advertising firm, people often look to the biggest ones and sort of imagine that they're the best, but they don't realise if if you're a tiny sort of relative to their sort of other clients, if you're very small, uh, you know, you're going to actually get probably a quite junior person and a small amount of resources. Where like for you, you know, you're putting your best people and probably even yourself and, and sort of yeah. over-servicing them because, like you say, it's such a big part of your business. Um, and I guess you're maybe communicating that to those mid-sized firms or they're sort of having that realisation at the same time that um, they can be like a VIP in a smaller pond or a, a sort of a, a, a very small fish in a huge pond and, and they're actually going to get better results with uh, someone like you. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and, and so what what sort of change? Like again, you've been you've worked in fast growth companies. So so how is it different? We've talked a bit about the difference between being in the passenger seat versus driver seat. But so now um, you know you're running the company. You're learning what it's like to be responsible for everything. Um, and now suddenly the sort of the best and worst thing has happened, which is rapid growth. Um, kind of what sort of obviously it's good having the extra clients and, and funds, but. And you've mentioned a bit about the hiring bottlenecks, but, but what are the other sort of some of the good and bad things you felt changed when you suddenly had this big growth, sudden growth? Yeah, I'd say, you know, the most obvious one is, is processes. So, you know, just keeping on top of how we work as a business and how we um, communicate 
to each other because obviously still being that mum boutique size it's quite tempting to just turn around and you know shout something across the office and um, you know verbally remind someone to do something but that's kind of where things can fall away when you get quite busy so you know, implementing processes has been um, you know not a challenge as such but it's come as the result of needing to implement certain processes I should say um, in terms of um, you know growing and sort of the, the positive side you know for me it's probably quite a personal answer but I just love bringing people on board and training them and seeing people grow within the business and actually just you know I can think back to you know a couple of years ago with a couple of the guys that sort of just started working with me then to now the type of work that they're doing and the you know the clients that they're dealing with and you know the strategic work that they're doing it's just it's it's worlds apart from from two years ago it almost feels like you know a, a 10 year progression 12 months you can go from one point to you know to what you know other people in sort of you know slower growth companies might do in 10 years because so much is thrown at you um, and it's a real sort of sink or swim kind kind of, sort of way of working but god when you when you swim you, you, you're really swimming um, so personally I, I find that the most rewarding side is just sort of seeing the growth of the staff and just bringing them on board and making them a part of the company and just seeing that passion yeah, and no, I think that that's very true. And again, it goes back to that sort of um, sometimes people perceive they'll sort of, from a staff point of view, they might learn more in a big company dealing with the big brands, but realistically they, they might be doing a fairly repetitive or limited scope, but you can give them that sort of rapid learning experience and probably like you had yourself when you were younger, that sort of ability to level up much faster just because someone you know has to sort of step up and... Um, and yeah, being able to offer that to uh, to yeah. sort of young, ambitious people that want it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, the, the level up, I think that's a sort of perfect way to put it, really. So, so online marketing is sort of, it's, um, you know, it's sort of on everyone's uh, lips. I think everyone's talking about it in sort of different ways, whether they're sort of bemoaning change and how things used to be this way and they're not anymore, or whether they're very optimistic and sort of excited. And, and it sort of seems like there's, a million sort of um, you know digital marketing marketing consultants and agencies and and it seems like one of those spaces at least from the outside that sort of you know it's very popular it's very growing it's undeniable you know Facebook's gone from nothing to you know billions and billions in, in a decade um, but in this sort of competitive crowded space like you've said you've kind of carved out a good niche. Um, how do you sort of find, you know, when you're sitting across the table from a potential client, that sort of process of, of saying how you're different and um, why you're different or what you're going to offer them because they might, you know, I'm sure they get heaps of uh, messages offering them services and lots of people pr promising different things. How do you kind of cut through that and, um, and win the trust of your clients? Yeah, so I think to begin with, we've always been really sort of firm and clear that we focus on content marketing and social media marketing and the reason we sort of do that is because you know we often compete against full service agencies that have you know that those offerings as just part of their complete package and if a client wants that and they want to deal with one agency that does everything then that's that's more than fine but um the best result will be 
working with specialists. So that's one thing we try and communicate, that we are the specialists in our particular areas and we don't touch really on the other areas because um, we just want to do what we do well. Um, so we, we try and communicate that as, as much as we can and you know if, if one of our clients then asks us for SEO services, for AdWords, for PR, for branding even, um, you know we will sort of help them find other agencies that can do that but we won't pretend that that's what we want to do because we want to focus on what we do really well. So it's kind of just being firm about um, what it is that we do um, and not being distracted by anything else. Um, I, Another one would be sort of going back to the, the size of the business as well. I think we're in that really some sweet spot where we can um, compete against larger agencies for sort of uh, clients, you know, that they might be smaller to them, but for us, a really large would get a, a great sort of great value for their money. Um, so that would be second, sort of knowing where, where how we can sort of carve ourselves out in terms of, you know, the, the offering to those kinds of businesses. Um, and... We are really strong in, in strategy. So, you know, we put a lot of um, time and effort into the thinking behind what we do rather than just doing work, you know, rather than saying, yeah, we can do that for you. We'll produce X, Y, Z blogs and videos and, you know, whatever it is that you want. We always ask why. And I think that kind of comes down to not being afraid to, um, to say no and say, like, we don't agree with that or there's no reason that we should you know, produce that work, here's what we think, and if, you, if you're if you on board with our ideas, then we'll achieve some great things. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's just about being clear about sort of what your passions are and, and finding people that you align with. And, you know, I always say, you know, business is like relationships. And you just, you're not going to work out with, with some people and then you're going to have really good relationships with other ones. And you've just got to both be on the same page. So I just try and be as clear up front about how we work, what we believe in, and know what sort of value the client's going to get from working with us yeah and i think that sort of very on point like you said if you know what you want and who's the right fit it's much easier to sort of find them versus if you're trying to be sort of everyone everything to everyone or, or you're not clear on what you do or if you just say yes to everything that sort of comes through the door um it's very hard but you've been able to carve out that sort of niche um in, in terms of content, I think it's sort of interesting always from a sort of agency perspective. When you're sort of outside their business, um, I'm sure there's certain niches or you hire people with certain experiences, but, but how do you find, I'm sure sometimes you get a bit of pushback on people saying that, you know, you're not going to be able to write the level of content they're going to write if they did it internally or is it, um, you know, the sort of the level of depth that you go in the sort of the research phase or, or sort of it's more the understanding of the customers first rather than the product that you're actually um, they're selling or how do you go through that process to sort of keep their voice and brand across a range of sort of industries? Yeah, so in terms of, um, you know, the level of knowledge and experience, that's, that's probably, that's not really a challenge we we come across because like you say we we find the people with that experience and that knowledge so that's not so much of an issue I think it's kind of getting across again like the why we produce what we produce so I, I think really where the trust factor comes in and you know why we can sort of offer a little bit more than say a client just hiring you know an 
what are your business objectives? What do you actually need to achieve as a business? You know, what are those goals? And then what are your audience's objectives? What are they looking to achieve? What do they want? You know, even from life, like what are the big questions that your audience is asking? And then what are your brand objectives? You know, how do you want to be perceived? What do you want people to say when they think of you? And it's those, it's the understanding of those three things, how they overlap, and then mixed with somebody who has the experience and expertise in the space to produce content that's completely well researched and aligned with you know that area. But it comes down to more so the understanding of those three business brand and audience objectives, and then how content can actually help help a business achieve all of those things. So secondary is kind of the experience and expertise because that's almost a given. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we just cut out for a second there. But oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, so, so I think you you have an interesting perspective because obviously you've been an employee in sort of larger companies. You've worked, like I said, as sort of an early hire in sort of fast-growing entrepreneurial companies. Um, obviously, you're working with sort of these mid-sized businesses, so you're often probably corresponding with or you know interacting with these other business owners and. And, um, you know, how do you sort of see entrepreneurship in Australia at the moment? And um, especially in the context of having worked in other, you know, businesses and regions um, and seeing the different, I guess, cultural, economic differences as well. Sort of what's your current sort of view of how things are doing in entrepreneurship in Australia? And also sort of how do we compare for better or worse to sort of some of the other uh, global markets? Yeah, so I think I think Australia is doing a really good job in in terms of sort of trying to create um, new entrepreneurs and, and leadership and actually sort of establish entrepreneurship as um, as a thing within itself. You know, to be an entrepreneur, I think Australia does a really good job in even sort of you know UTS Hatchery and other kind of university. Um, like incubator programs and things like that um, really do sort of give people, even if they've just got an idea and not a natural business structure, they give, um, you know, younger people the opportunity to kind of, you know, just test out their ideas and actually just sort of, you know, see what happens, you know, be an entrepreneur. Um, so I think that's really you know, Australia is really strong for that. There's so many different incubator programs and so many different opportunities that are available for, for people who, like I say, may just have an idea and not even sort of the business structure in place. Um, I'd say, you know, on, on the other hand, in, in some cases, I feel like it's it's often seen as, as a trendy thing to do. Um, so, you know, like certain circles pop up and, you know, if, you, if you've not got an idea and you've not, you know, you've not got a business, it's kind of like, well, what are you doing? And that's kind of one thing that I, I don't like to see. Um, you know, I'm all for sort of, you know, pushing people when they've, when they've, they're doing something good, but it's kind of, you know, if, if somebody doesn't, I think people are quite easy to sort of, you know, um, get on their case a little bit um but i know startcom was just recently and you know that's a, a great little conference and um, to showcase and um, you know startup businesses i think sometimes it's quite easy to just attach um you know startups and entrepreneurship or entrepreneurialism um with technology that's one thing that i often sort of grapple with because obviously you know brandlis and my business is is a service business we don't have any tech you know i've not developed an app or any kind of you know um sort of ip around tech um but 
God, it's hard. You know, it's it's, it's hard to, to, to grow a business from nothing, you know, from absolutely nothing to turn it into a multi-million dollar company. It's really hard. Um, but I sometimes feel like, uh, you know, the startup world is, is connected to the next big tech idea, which is totally fine. But I think we shouldn't, you know, forget people who are just working hard, you know, plugging away at their business. Um, so, you know, just sort of seeing some kind of, communication around sort of being a business owner as well and sort of the definition of what being an entrepreneur means you know is a, is a, is a successful small business owner and entrepreneur so that's kind of something I'd I'd love to sort of um, delve into a little bit more um, you know in terms of other countries my experience overseas has been very much as, as an employee um, within sort of you know large organizations and, and things like that so I'm, I'm not too sure I could compare it actually to my first-hand experience um, but I do definitely feel that Australia is you know is, is doing a good job in, in trying to sort of bring people up from you know up from the ranks and and, uh, and, and support them and sort of present these opportunities for sure particularly within within the universities here I think it's, it's, it's really strong. Okay that's good and and, and sort of um not just about entrepreneurship, but I guess about sort of career and, and sort of business and, and or even life in sort of general, you know, what advice would you sort of give, you know, your 18 or sort of 21-year-old self? Um, because, you know, it's easy to look back at the journey, but I'm sure at the time everything was quiet, like you said, when the economy was bad and you don't know what's next. And what would you sort of say to your younger self now, sort of knowing how it's all worked out and, and the journey um, or just, you know, with the extra years of experience, what would you sort of say to that uh, younger version yeah. of you? God, I'd probably just say, you know, just say yes and, and figure it out. You know, if, if, you, if you take a chance, it will either work or it won't, but at least, at least you, you took the chance. Um, I kind of feel like I did do that slightly. Um, I'm trying to think of something that sort of would have knocked me back then. I think maybe, you know, the sort of confidence comes with age as well. And mm. so I'd probably, um, you know, just sort of say to myself, you're going to get knocked back. So not everybody is going to agree with you. And, shocker, sometimes you're actually going to be wrong as well. <laughs> um, so, you know, just take it on the chin and, you know, and carry on. You can't please everybody all the time, but you can just, you know, you can just give things a good shot. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and, and sort of, again, obviously things change very quickly and it's hard to predict the future, but um, how do you sort of see the, the next five years of, of, you know, brandalism as well as kind of uh, your sort of niche, you know, in content marketing and, and online marketing and, and how do you sort of, what are some maybe trends or just ideas or sort of um, predictions maybe that you sort of see coming down in the next sort of uh, yeah, five or so years? Yeah, so I think that the big thing for, for the industry, or my industry in particular, um, is sort of grappling with, you know, the sort of the live content, the fast content, the sort of the constructive consumption of, of content and its, its immediacy, um, because obviously that makes the things, you know, particularly when you're sort of an agency producing content for businesses, that makes things quite tricky because, you know, you need to be there at the time producing um, live, you know, live streams of content, so to speak. Um, so I think that's going to be a real interesting uh, development over the, you know, the next sort of couple of years and one that I'm quite excited to sort of, you know, adapt to and sort of come up with some solutions for. Um, 
in terms of, you know, vandalism, um, you know, I would just love to sort of open a new office, maybe in another location, maybe overseas, um, and actually then have, uh, you know, the, the ability and the experience to sort of get learnings from each place and apply them to each different market. Um, you know, one thing that I think has really sort of helped us along the way is that we work across every single industry. There's not really an industry but that we would shy away from. So, um, you know, it sounds sort of crazy, but, you know, there's, there's things that you can, like there's lessons you can get from, you know, one industry area, say like baby food, which is one of our clients, that you could apply to, you know, building materials and education. And it's, it's really quite interesting to see, you know, what happens in one place that, that you can sort of twist and, um, and sort of adapt and place onto another thing. So I think in terms of location, that would be amazing for the business to say have a, a company or a sort of an own office in, you know, somewhere in Europe, for example, and actually see what's happening there and then apply that to Australia and, and, and vice versa. So that would be sort of a, a business goal, sure. Yeah, and I think you're very uh, on point with that as well because a lot of industries, everyone sort of looks inward at their own industry and their own competitors, but the real growth and insight often comes from a different industry and the, the first person to do that thing in that industry or understand that or, or again, geographically, where one area is ahead or behind another. Um, yeah, totally. Do you have any, like you mentioned Europe, Is that was that just a random example or are you already sort of looking at potential second sort of uh, country would you go with like a London or a Berlin or or somewhere completely different like a Singapore or a US sort of location I think you know my my dream would to be to have an office in Amsterdam mm-hmm. I like sort of Amsterdam as sort of being the you know a bit of a HQ of, of Europe and to sort of nip around quite easily there um you know that's sort of from both a personal and a business kind of um perspective I guess and um, more immediately we're sort of looking at, at New Zealand but that's just to sort of follow some um, opportunities that are, have arisen there um, but in terms of sort of, sort of seeking out something new and, and, and fresh and actually trying to sort of develop the opportunities I think I think Amsterdam would be top of my top of my list all right I think that's uh, really interesting and really um it's been great. Uh, I want to just thank you for your time, Tracy, and for sharing your, your journey, which has been quite, a, I think, an interesting journey and a journey of constant sort of reinvention and, and, um, and saying yes to different opportunities and sort of jumping in and, and um, yeah, just always learning and growing, like we said, leveling up and then encouraging those around you now that you're in that sort of position of ownership and leadership to encourage those around you and bring in people who you yeah. can uh, encourage to do the same, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's, and that's the exciting part for sure. Thank you for listening. I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about it who you think may enjoy the content and get something useful out of it. Feedback, comments, likes or dislikes, you can reach me by emailing Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404 689 897. Thank you.